Thanks, Adrian. Great to have that reading here. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we've just started a series uh, in the book of Titus. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning through the reading that Adrian's just brought us. And uh, it's, a, it's a great little book. Uh, very practical, as uh, hopefully you'll see today. Uh, and, and quite challenging uh, as well, I think you'll find. Uh, why don't you have a look at this uh, magnificent thing in front of us here. Does anyone like cupcakes? Yeah, I, I really like them. Um, I, I was saying the other day to, uh, to Carolyn, when I was a boy, my favourite cupcakes were um, butterfly cupcakes, uh, where there's a little, the, little, the little cone is cut out at the top, and then it's cut in half, and the little, little cones turned into butterfly wings on top of the icing. Anyway, that was, that was, the, that was the piece de resistance in, uh, in my house. It was just fantastic. Now, looking at this cupcake, uh, is it missing anything? Sorry? Sprinkles? <laughs> it's not in your belly. Thank you, Tim. Uh, what, what is it missing? If it was just to have one thing added to it, uh, we might do this. There we go. A cherry on top, right? Okay. Now, uh, the idea is, if you've got something great and you want to just add the last thing, it's called the cherry on top, right? So you've got something brilliant and just to finish it off, you put the cherry on top. Now, what happens if you have something that, that isn't very good at all? Uh, a pig, for instance. Uh, what do you add to a pig? Well, I don't know if you guys have heard this turn of phrase. Does anyone know the turn of phrase? You, uh, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Have you heard that before? <laughs> okay, well, there you go. That's your education for this morning. I hope to do some biblical edification as well, uh, but there's a turn of phrase you might not have heard before. Um, if you've got something beautiful, what you put on top, cherry on top. Uh, you can have something that's terrible, and if you try and add something nice to it, all you're doing, they say, is putting lipstick on a pig. Okay? So trying to put an adornment on something that isn't great is just prettying up a pig. I want you to think, we're thinking about adornment today, adding just that, that little extra bit. And uh, I want to think with you this morning... What about the message of new life in Jesus? If you had that, what would you adorn it with? If you had the message of Jesus, what would you add on top, just to finish it off, to, uh, to make it just right? What, what would you add? And uh, so I want to think about that this morning. And we're going to do that through this letter here that Paul wrote. Uh, he was writing... Uh, to stop error in a church in an island called Crete, okay? And so Paul's writing to a man called Titus. That's why the book's called Titus. He's writing a letter to Titus so that he can advise the church in Crete. And there are some enemies there, some people who are opposing the good news about Jesus. And uh, we can see up here in verse 16 of chapter 1, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. There are bad teachers in Crete. There are bad teachers in Crete. And Paul, last week we saw, wants to ask Timothy to put in place elders so that they can be looked after against this bad teaching. But you can see here the disconnection with the bad teachers is their lives don't match their words. Their lives don't match their words. And so uh, we see in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 
Uh, if you'll open it up with me, it's on page 1200 or page 1816 of the, uh, the large print Bibles. Have a look with me at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says this, You, however, unlike the, the false teachers, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You must teach what is healthy, hence my uh, vegetables up on the screen there. You must teach healthy doctrine, stuff that will build people up, the right teaching about Jesus that will produce healthy disciples. Your job is to teach things that are healthy. The antidote to this uh, terrible teaching is healthy teaching about the good news of Jesus. So Titus, that's what you're to do. But he was to teach it to a group of people. Uh, Do you remember last week how the people in Crete were described? Have a look with me in chapter uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. Here's how the Bible memorably sums up Uh, what it's like, what the working material is like in Crete. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So what sort of material does Titus have to work with here? (laughs) A group of people who seem to be far away from living a new life for Jesus. So what's he going to do? What does it look like to teach healthy doctrine, good teaching to Cretans? What does that look like? Well, that's what we're going to examine today. Uh, We're going to do so with the idea that the church is a household. The church is a household. And uh, if you've been at New Life for a number of years, you've seen, uh, seen Matt do this really nicely with his little people. The church is a household made up of little households. Okay? We're all representing our household, but we come here under the roof of God to be a household together. And so today we're going to look at the different demographics of the household. We've got older men, older women, young men, young women, and slaves. They were all gathered together under the single roof that was the church or churches uh, in Crete. Now it's interesting to note at the start Today, have a bit of a look around our little gathering here, just for a second. Have a sideways glance or a backwards glance if you're up the front. And God bless you if you're up the front. I appreciate you. You're you're beautiful. Um, Around today, in this service right here, we have... Well, we don't have any slaves, do we? Good. Excellent. Uh, But here's what happens. In our church, though, I'm actually really thankful that we have this mixed together. But often in churches, here's what happens... We have different services, don't we? And many of you will have been to churches where this is the case, where we take all of the older men and older women and we put them in a special older men and older women service and then we've got the younger men and the young women and uh, the, the slaves, the kids, I mean, uh, and, uh, and we put them in, an, in another service and never the twain shall meet except over morning tea while we're being a little bit inconvenient coming in and out. Have you been in churches like this? Now, look, I don't know where we're going. My hope is that something of the beauty of us doing life together as the family of God here might be able to be preserved. And you'll see why I think that's so important today. All right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, these different demographics. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and slaves, because they're the ones addressed in the passage here. 
As I do each of these, I want you to think about the message that our world is sending to these demographics. Okay? So here's a, here's a message our world is sending to the demographic of older men. Okay, so what's, what's the message there? To be, to be an old man, in, uh, an older man in, uh, in our society is to get out of job, retire. Do we retire gracefully? Were you watching? Was that graceful? Yeah, exactly. Burning bridges, showing disrespect, while ACDC plays and you go outside and punch the sky to say, yeah, I'm now free to go and do whatever I want to do, yeah? Now, that, that's a message that's being sent to older men in our society. It's interesting, that's older men just coming into retirement. Of course, there's another version of older men too, isn't there? Uh, are older men who, who have decided that the way that they travel through life is by offering helpful critique, shall we say, of the things that are wrong in the world around them. And uh, the only problem they have is they can't find some things that are right, I think, is the, is the issue. So the, the message can be, if you're young enough and active enough, you get out and you go and live your retirement in rebellious abandon, um, or you're just cranky and old, in which case you don't care what anyone thinks and you just get on with it. Now, I, I think these sort of messages are out there in the world. Uh, I want us to have a look at the Bible and to think what it says are to be the roles for, let's start with older men. So, really important to have your Bibles here. So, let's go to Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. Titus is to teach the older men to be temperate worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. The older men, first of all, are to be temperate. Uh, whether it's appropriate or not to punch your hand in the air while you're listening to Akadaka, I don't know. But the, the idea is that you have a, a, a temperament that isn't prone to large swings that you're worthy of respect, not just complaining that people don't give me no respect. Yeah? That you are worthy of respect, that you're somebody who is seeking to earn the respect of others by living in such a way that it's freely given to you rather than something that you whinge and complain is not given to you. That you're to be self-controlled. That if you did have a valuable opinion to offer that you might choose not to for the sake of the people who are around you. And lastly, that you're to be sound in faith, hope, well, faith, love, and endurance. It's interesting, isn't it? Faith, love, and endurance. Endurance, I guess, enduring to enjoy the hope that is before us. It really is Paul's three things here, faith, hope, and love. So sound in, well-established in, grounded in, faith, in love, and in endurance, 
that you would run the race with perseverance, that you would finish your days strong, holding on to the things that are most valuable in our lives. And so I want to ask older men who are here today, are you investing, it's always about investing, isn't it, in retirement, yes, are you investing in being worthy of respect or are you angry that it's not given? Secondly, have you retired from being sound in the faith or continually adding to your firm foundation? Have you retired from growing in your Christian faith? There is not a retirement village in the people of God. Can I respectfully ask you to grow in being worthy of respect and continuing to grow in your love and devotion to the Lord Jesus? Don't worry, everyone gets a poke today, so don't worry, your turn's coming. Older men, thank you. Older women, uh, I was trying to think of someone who would fit the, uh, the Cretan view of uh, older women here. Does anyone know who these guys are? Somebody's murmuring it out. Um, ab- absolutely fabulous, does anyone know this? Let me bring it a little bit closer. Uh, it's, it's a picture of growing old disgracefully. Growing old disgracefully. Let's have a look at what the Bible has to say to older women. So we're looking at uh, Titus chapter 2 and verses 3 to 4. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Older women, you have a very specific call on your lives. There's a beautiful word here. It starts off by saying, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. There's to be a holiness, a beauty to the way that you live your life a beauty and reverence, uh, almost like your daily life is an offering to God to be reverent. You know, not to, not to be addicted to much wine. Now, it's interesting that this probably would have been the standard thing in Crete. And if for you this is not a problem, can I say, praise God, that's wonderful. But there was to be a striking difference between the women of the church and the women of Crete. And one of the distinctive things was that they were not to be addicted to much wine. Now, the amazing thing is some people can manage to do this without showing very much publicly at all. Maybe they're able to consume large amounts of alcohol and not really lose control very much. Regardless of whether you're able to manage the social face, the Bible says that being addicted to much wine, it actually says enslaved to wine, is not what we are to be as God's people. He then says they're not to be slanderers. Now, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. I know a little bit about Chesalon down there, and uh, I, don't, I, don't think this, I don't think this would characterise the general way the village works. But what, but what I would say is, in the village, it's easy to have a happy hour and to talk about your neighbours. Would that be fair, Chesalonians? Happy hour and talk about your neighbours. No, they're, sh- they're, they're shaking their heads. 
that's because we've got beautiful older women here, you see? That's, uh, that's fantastic. I'm suggesting to you for other people, uh, it may be easy to have a drink of alcohol and quietly offer some opinions on how people keep their backyards or whatever it may be. It's to be the virtue of the godly, mature woman that she's not addicted to much wine and she's not a slanderer. You'll note also something quite profound. The, the mature and godly woman is not just called to live in social isolation. So the answer to not slandering isn't to not hang out with anyone anymore. It's actually to reform and tame our tongues. But here, they're actually urged to teach what is good by urging the younger women to a pattern of life that they themselves are living out. There's actually something profound going on here. It is actually, I'm suggesting, impossible in the segregated service church for this to happen naturally. See, if that, you know, the, the classical thing is that there's an 8 a.m. service and a 10 a.m. service, you know, and the 8 a.m. is the older people's service and the 10 a.m. is the family service. And, and, and how on earth would Christian young women be able to be urged and encouraged by people who are mature women? How would that happen if they never cross paths? I honestly don't know. But here is in the Scriptures encouraging uh, mature women to act in this way to be urging the younger women on. So let me ask some questions for older women here. If I can get my thing to come up. Click. There we go. Uh, and look, I've, I've used these words in a particular way because I want you to see the contrast. Are you debasing yourself with wine and words? So are, are the wine and the words pulling you down, debasing yourself? Or are you building up younger women? Don't be about pulling others down. Don't be about pulling yourself down or others. Instead, invest yourself in building people up, the younger women. And I want to, th I want to think with you this morning, what ways might those younger than you have a chance to know you and imitate, it should stay, imitate your character? Uh, how can that happen? And on top of that, I, I want to ask a question, which I think is a very real one and part of the biggest challenge, I think, which is, will you make yourself knowable? See, because how can younger women follow your example if they never get to know you, never get behind the mask? Will you make yourself, will you dare to make yourself knowable? Younger women. Hello. Hello. The older men and older women can sit back now and wait while everyone else gets their turn. Younger women, I think, I think this ad I'm about to show you here goes to the heart of the message that our society would like to say to you. I'll play it for you. Now, for some of you, 
you might be thinking, I don't get it. How is this attractive? Travel the world and stay in strangers' homes, organised through the internet. How, how is it even attractive? For some of you, you're thinking, yeah, that's attractive. <laughs> it's exactly what I want to do. What, what do I want to do more than anything else is I would prefer not to have the drag of Monday tomorrow having to pack lunches, having to, for my husband as well, as my, but to, to, pack, to pack lunches for my whole house. I don't, I don't want to go to work or, or I don't want to have to change nappies at home. I, I would love nothing more than to head out of here to some global city on my own and discover the world. The picture is your best life is lived away from home and responsibility and it's tangibly waiting for you out there. Go pursue it. Now, why, why do I say this? Uh, I, know, I know of at least two marriages, no, three marriages, with people who are younger than me where the women in the marriage have walked out on their husbands, not because their husbands have been unfaithful, but because their non-Christian friends told them that they were missing out on the life that they could be living. They were bound to kids and home, and they were missing out. And I know three marriages that have ended with the women pursuing that goal above all their other responsibilities. In this context, I want you to hear the words that Timothy has entrusted to the older women in his church to teach the younger women. Have a look with me at verses four to five. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, now before we go crazy on this one, just hear carefully what it's actually saying. Okay, just, just bear with me. The first thing it says is to be busy at home. Well, yeah, straight away we'd think, right, so the Bible's telling me I can't work. No careers for women, done. Well, that doesn't work out very well in my house, you know? Here's what I'd say. Paul is writing to Titus on Crete in the first century. How many career options do you imagine there were for women in the first century in Crete? I think quite literally the only career option you would have had outside of the home would have been to be a temple prostitute. Now, if he says for you to be busy at home, the idea is that you're not busy doing other things like slandering and getting drunk, I think is the counterpoint, all right? I actually don't think it's in any way possible to take this to mean it must be that you can't be a Christian woman outside of the home. We, we actually see Lydia in the New Testament in Acts as a woman who's a dealer in purple cloth. She has her own business, right? It, the, the, the picture is not one that says you can only be at home, but if you're at home, be busy at home rather than getting drunk and slandering your neighbours. Secondly, Loving husbands and kids. Now, you would think, why on earth does the apostle need to say this to young women? Well, of course you love your husband and your kids, don't you? He's saying it should mark your life 
that you are devoted to loving your husband and your kids, not resentful. To be self-controlled and pure. Have you noticed this self-control turns up a little bit here? Self-controlled and pure. That your life is to be characterized by by choosing to restrain your own desire. To be kind. Now, can I say, everyone was here and go, no, come on, that's a wasted word in the Bible, yeah? Why does it need to say for, for, for younger women to be kind? Of course they're kind. Except when they haven't had enough sleep or when the husband's watching the rugby and not changing the nappies or... There are plenty of reasons why you might choose not to be kind. I want you to see here, this is actually God speaking to young women and saying, you need to be kind. You need to have soft, beautiful hearts. Not you alone, mind you, but you do, and it's there specifically saying you need to be kind. It also says you need to be subject to your husbands. I think it literally says obedient to your husbands. Now, again, we could throw up in our arms and say, what an appalling thing. This is the same Paul who writes, submit to one another out of love for Christ. Husbands, serve your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the context for that submission, that obedience. The context is loving sacrifice by your husband. And I want you to notice, everyone needs to notice this. Stop, look at me. This submission is a gift offered, not a right demanded. A gift offered to the husband by the wife, not a right demanded by the husband to the wife. Are you clear on the difference? She is to offer her husband submission. He is to offer her sacrificial service. He is not to demand of her submission. Wrong. Everyone heard me clearly on that? So women, young women, here's some questions for you. Is your heart resentfully far from home or are you kind-heartedly sowing love into your husband and children? Is your heart resentfully far from home or are you kind-heartedly sowing love into your husband and children? And if I can say those two together, just so we're clear, your husband and your children. Because the danger can be, of course I love my kids, and if only my husband would pull his stuff together, I might be able to offer him love as well. Because that, that, that is a really dangerous lie. You will love your kids well by loving your husband. Secondly, who do you know who is a model of the heart you aspire to? Do you have a godly older woman who you know, who you can say, I want to be like her? I would love for that to be the case for you. All right. Ladies, you can now join me. All ladies, older men, you can join me as well. All right. We can kick back now. We're going to lay into the younger men. Uh, Does anyone know who this guy is? Call it out. (laughs) Sorry? Tomic, Bernard Tomic. 
He's, a, he's an Australian tennis hope, I think I can say hope. Disaster he is, okay. Look, uh, he's a young man in every sense of the word. Um, I think he's quite a prodigious tennis talent. He's done some pretty amazing things. He's also crashed out of a whole bunch of tennis things recently, including, um, what was it, the, the Hall of Fame tournament, which they tweeted was the Hall of Shame, I think. <laughs> uh, so anyway, here he is. Uh, he's a man who has, has tasted some success, has got lots of cash. Here's the thing. Most recently, he crashed out of a, uh, a, a, um, a tournament, and uh, this was the picture that ended up in the paper. Now, this is a mugshot of young Bernard Tomic, taken after he was evicted from his penthouse in Miami for refusing to turn down the music, and the police were called after the security guards in the uh, hotel were unable to get him out. He was arrested, he was put in jail, and someone posted bail for him to get out because he was drunk and wanted to play music loudly into the middle of the night. Now, guys, that's, that's a really sad story. It's bad enough when young men do silly things. Imagine being this man. I actually want us to get some Christian compassion here. Imagine being this young man. You have all this money, all this expectation. People back at home are writing blogs about you and newspaper stories about how hopeless you are and how you lack application. And there he is, far from home, with stacks of money, feeling terrible. Has a boozy party and gets arrested, and his picture ends up on the front page of the paper. Now, you might say, boo-hoo, I wish I'd had the opportunity to do something better with lots of money. But I actually think it's a really sad story. Have a look with me at the extent of the encouragement to young men. Titus chapter 2, verse 6. You ready? Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. here. We'll, we'll, we'll lay it all out for you. Ready? Young men are urged to be self-controlled. And young men are to be self-controlled. What's the advice to young men? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Did, did you hear how many things were laid out for the women? For the older men? What, what, what's, what's before the young man? The young man is to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, be self-controlled. I think it's quite remarkable. So here's, here's what I want to ask young men. Is your God your appetite? How will you know? Will you know if your God is your appetite? Because you'll be able to ask the question, when did you last deny yourself anything you desired for God or another? When did you last say no to yourself for the sake of God or another? And if there's no ability to answer that question positively, then the answer is, your God is your appetite. Young men, can you name an older man who is a model of the life you aspire to? Young men, can you name an older man whose life you aspire to model? Do you know someone, you're going, that is the godly man I want to be like. I want to love my family like that man. I want to be faithful to my family like that man. I want to prioritize my life like that man. I want to grow up 
to be a man like this. Older men, do you hear the role that you can play? That you might model a life of devotion to Jesus. Young men, may, may we choose to put ourselves second out of love and devotion to God and to our family. He's got something to say about slaves as well. It's funny, I was looking for a picture for slaves. Um, I actually think the picture of slaves, we, we, we humanise them far too much. If you're a slave in this, in this environment, you are a good and chattel. You are an appliance. You were a thing that did a thing rather than you were first and foremost a person. Slaves, your job is to do this. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, to not talk back to them and to not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they'll make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Slaves, there's a call for you from God. He knows about your situation. You are to act in a way that pleases your masters. You are not to talk back to them. Imagine how tempting that would have been. You are not to steal. It's funny, isn't it? Why why say that? Because if I'm in charge of my master's house, how will he notice if a few bushels go missing? I do the books for him anyway. I just adjust it out. They're to be trustworthy, worthy of the trust that's been placed in their hands, and they're to be subject to their masters. But what if my master's terrible? You're to be subject to your master. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, it's one of these fashionable things at the moment to say, hey, this is the church. See, the church is out of touch. The church endorsed slavery. Can you see this here? The church endorsed slavery. Well, the church is actually, interestingly enough, we're so, so far beyond this thought world. The church is actually doing something radical here, isn't it? It's speaking to slaves like they matter. There's a start. It's actually humanising slaves, even to start with, even before we look at everything else. And secondly, if you really want to say the church endorses slavery, can I just say how stupid this argument is? Because Exodus... Does anyone know what the Exodus story is about? Sorry? Free, oh, freeing slaves. You mean the dominant story in the Old Testament is about slaves being set free by God. Is that, is that the story? Yeah, but, but Christianity endorses slavery, doesn't it? Are, are you with me? The very heart of Christianity, the story that dominates the Old Testament is slaves set free. What is the language of the New Testament? We are slaves to what? Ah, that's the second part. What were we slaves to first, mate? Sin. We were slaves to sin first, and now we're slaves to righteousness. Absolutely. How could the New Testament be endorsing slavery when it says that we were slaves to sin and Jesus Christ has come to set us free? Absolutely. You are set free so that you might be slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus. Does the New Testament want to bring about a social revolution? No, it's not the most priority on the agenda. The agenda is that human souls enslaved to sin might be set free. That those set free might serve God with their freedom in a way that was radically at odds with the rest of the world around them. That's the agenda of the New Testament. 
And what do Christians who are founded in Exodus, who know about slavery and setting free by Jesus, what do they do eventually? What do Christians lead the world in doing? Eradicating slavery. So anytime you hear this lie that says the church endorses slavery, can you bop it on the head for me? That'd be great. Slaves. Well, I don't want to talk to you about slaves. I just want to do a little bit of a a fudge here. No one here is a slave, okay? But I want you to think about your work worlds for a second. Is your work world one marked by distinctly Christian character and devotion? So if you're working somewhere, do people know you're a Christian because of the way you work in that world? And what might you have to stop if you knew your life was a billboard for Jesus? Why these behaviours? Why are they to do these particular things? Have a look with me. 2.5 says this. To be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands. Why? So that no one will malign the word of God. Or 2.8. To show soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Or 2.10. And not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that... In every way, they'll make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Why these behaviours? Why these behaviours? To adorn the good news about Jesus. To be the cherry on top. It's the reversal of these people here who had a disjunction between their life and their words. So the people in 116 claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. We want to be a group of people who claim to know God and by our actions affirm the good news. Yes? Absolutely. So self-control in your role. That's what I want. Self-control in your role. Giving and living the message of new life in Jesus. How are these things connected? Well, the way that we live over here, faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring, living a life like that, We'll be enacting the good news. Notice the older men and the older women are to have a role. And so our enduring value over here, we say, who are you strengthening down the bottom there? Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? Older men and women, are you modelling a life we can follow? Younger men and women, are you looking to follow after the examples set before you? And if we are doing that, It will enable us to do the job of giving the message of new life because this group of people here will stand out. We will stand out as people who've been gripped by Jesus and fundamentally changed. I'm going to finish on this. Hopefully it's been practical enough for you. What does this mean? After this service finishes and we go out into this beautiful sunlit foyer over there, I want to tell you it's an opportunity It's an opportunity to stand in groups of young families and groups of retired people and never the twain shall meet. Does that sound right? Can I, thank you brother, can I encourage you, please, 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 take the time to get to know someone that you might model, that you might follow, that we might encourage together to run the race with perseverance. Out there, once this service finishes, is an opportunity for all of us. I want to say one more point. There is a cost to bringing us together. And I want to say, do we do enough contemporary songs? Do we do enough hymns? Do we 
get the kids out of here quick enough, do we? I want to hope that everyone here is slightly inconvenienced. That we might be together, that we might do this brilliant thing that we're talking about today. That we might be the church of the living God with a cherry on top. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you that you put slaves in a building with free men and women. That you put older men and younger men, older women and younger women together. That you gave them the awesome task of encouraging one another to run the race with perseverance. That by their behaviour, Father, they might be able to adorn the good news of Jesus. Father, may you, in your mercy, help us to be a church that gives and lives the message of new life in Jesus so that we can see new life come to every home. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.